following programming has been made possible in part by the generous support of BITS, Blind Information Technology Specialists. In affiliated the American Council of the Blind, BITS provides career development for computer professionals. For over 50 years, BITS has been on the forefront of industry, promoting and advocating on information access and technology that improves the quality of life for people who are blind and visually impaired. Learn more about BITS programs and how to become a member by visiting their website at www.bits-acb.org. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Okay, um, good afternoon, evening. Um, I'm Dr. Jesse Rail, and today we're going to talk about learning and the different styles of learning and why some people have more difficulty learning than others and how you can um, make it a little easier for you personally to learn the things that you want to learn. So there's basically three different styles of learning. And the first one is visual. The second, and I'll talk about these more. The second is auditory. And the third is either tactile or hands-on. So hands-on and tactile are the same. Um, many people are, are visual learners. There's also people who are auditory. And there's people who learn better when they have hands-on experiences. So it's incorrectly assumed by many educators and by many sighted people, that all blind people are auditory or hands-on learners. And that's not always the case. Blind people can be a visual learners as well. So um, in actuality, when you read Braille, that a lot of people think that is hands-on, and it's not. It's, it's a tactile, I mean, it's um, um, visual learning. So... In the brain, there are two visual cortex, and one is in the frontal lobe, and one is in the back of the the brain. Um, Sometimes, when people lose their sight, well, a lot of things happen when you're you're looking at things. First of all, a sighted person looks at something, and the information goes into the first visual cortex after it passes the eye, and then it goes into the first visual cortex. And that visual cortex understands that you're looking at print or you're looking at a picture or you're looking at, you know, a flower or a person, but it may not understand what it is. So it sends it to the second visual cortex, which is um, in the back of your brain. And the that visual cortex says, aha, you're reading a print book and that book is entitled How to Learn or How to Improve Your Learning. So it interprets that for you. So what happens to a person when they lose their sight is the the first, the primary visual cortex is no longer active. And other parts of the brain in a process called neuroplasticity, they take over aspects, which is why people who are totally blind may have a heightened sense of smell or a heightened sense of alertness, a heightened sense of hearing. It doesn't mean that if we were to measure your hearing or measure your smell, that it would be better necessarily, but it's heightened. It's increased the awareness. And the olfactory or the auditory, sometimes all of it um, have taken over and the the visual cortex that you no longer need because something happened to your eye. Maybe it was removed or maybe, you know, you have problems with the optic nerve or um, maybe you have problems with the retina or, or something happens that causes that eye to no longer work. Now, if you still have sight, even though it's not very good, even though it might be really low or, you know, not very helpful to you, you do still have a visual cortex, but it's not fully active. And so part of it has been taken over. But we all have the other, the secondary visual cortex. And that's why blind people are, in fact, able to 
do imagery. Um, they're able to read in Braille. And this is where the Braille comes in. <laughs> so when you read Braille, neurons take what you're reading up to that visual cortex. And it says, aha, you're reading a book entitled How to Improve Your Learning when you read that in Braille. So that's how Braille can become um, visual learning. So then we have um, other things that are visual, and those are maps. Sighted people look at print maps on the computer, different things. Blind people also sometimes have the opportunity to look at maps that are done in Braille graphics or, you know, raised object representation. Um, when I went to the guide dog school, they had this really cool map, and it had all the buildings in the area and the streets were marked off, um, that type of thing. Um, so then we have the written word, which for sighted people is print, and for blind people is often Braille. Um, and then we have auditory learning. And auditory learning, interestingly, is also with sign language. So when deaf people, even though they can't hear, they, they use sign language, that incorporates their auditory learning. Um, of course, when when we hear things, you know, if if somebody tells us a set of directions or um, we're listening to something on an audio tape or on the computer, um, that is definitely auditory learning. And until very recently, what we thought was that blind people primary way of learning with auditory and sighted people's primary way of learning is visual. And then we learned that that's not true, um, that we had been misdiagnosing a lot of students in school. We had been not teaching fully, and, and people were not um, really able to uh, learn as well. Um, sometimes people may have other issues that interfere with that. And that's how we, we started discovering that, ooh, not everybody learns the same way. And then we have hands-on learning. And that is when you actually learn by doing it. Somebody tells you how to do it, and you actually do it, and then you can learn. Um, somebody will sit with you and say, you know, um, here are the keys on your computer. And, and so you find the keys on your computer and they'll tell you what keystrokes to use to make certain things happen on that computer. Or they'll do that with the iPhone or they'll do that with a craft project. You know, they'll actually let you touch it and, and show you how to do it with your hands. So that's hands on learning. So we have a lot of things that interfere with learning. Um, concentration, if you're having difficulty concentrating, you're not going to learn as well, either with visual or auditory learning. Um, and, and sometimes that can be a problem. If you have problems with your memory for some reason, you may not have as much success because you're going to learn how to do something, but then you're not going to remember what you learned. Um, so that can be a problem. And that's often why people, as they age, they know they've been doing all their life. But if you try to teach them a new concept or something, they may not be able to grasp that because they're having some real memory issues. And they really can't remember from time to time what you tried to show them. And you may think, well, that's pretty simple. Um, I know when my mom was entering into dementia, we noticed that. I mean, she was always a pretty sharp person, and she could still do the things that she had been doing most of her life or all her life. But when I tried, for example, to teach her the Keurig, she, she just couldn't get it because she couldn't remember um, from day to day, you know, what she had actually learned. And it was really frustrating for me initially until I realized what was going on because, you know, I would show her how to use a Keurig and she would use a Keurig and she would do it successfully and she would even make another cup of coffee for me and she would do that successfully. And then the next day, 
she was like, my Keurig doesn't work. I was like, your Keurig does too. No, it doesn't. So I would go back over <laughs> and go through the same thing again. Um, and then I realized, oh, she's not remembering from day to day what she has been taught. Um, another thing that causes a difficulty with learning is coding, encoding problems. And that is a, a situation that people with ADHD have. You can teach them things, but they're not they're not retaining it, they're not attentive to it, and, and so they're not encoding it in their brain fully, um, which is why they might do part of it and swear, well, you only told me that part. No, I told you the whole part. No, because that's all they've coded into their brain. Um, and then another thing that can cause a lot of problems is neurological problems. People with brain injuries or people... Um, who injure that second visual cortex that we talked about um, may have a great deal of difficulty because they have brain injury. Um, there could be other neurological problems that interfere with learning as well, but that's the main issue. And then you have people who have learning disabilities, and those are real. Um, and what it is is the person has average or above average intellect, but when they try either reading or math, um, math is the most common one. Reading is, is the second one. Um, their scores are way below what you would expect an, a person with average intelligence to have. Um, so they have a great deal of difficulty. And then aging is another thing that interferes with learning, um, as we talked about. And people learn better more quickly when they're younger, which is why we put kids in school and why we're trying to educate them earlier and earlier because we've realized that, you know, they they learn much faster. Um, some children are actually able to speak multiple languages by the time they're in school, and it's because they come from cultures or families where multiple languages are spoken. And so they learn these languages. And, you know, if, if you or I tried to learn three or four different languages, I'd be doing good to learn the second one. Forget the third one. Um, so things that can enhance your learning is, first of all, it's important to determine your primary learning style. Are you a visual learner? Are you an auditory learner? Or are you a hands-on learner? And then after that, if you can determine your second primary learning style, you're going to have a better time. For example, I'm a visual learner, and then I'm hands-on. I have to have things written down for me. If you give me a set of directions, I'm probably not going to remember or not not catch all of them. And it's not because I'm partially deaf. It's, it's because I'm not an auditory learner. But if you give me those same directions in Braille or you give me a map, I can get there and, and I'll get it done. Um, then my second is hands-on. I need to physically have something in my hand and, and be able to, to learn it. So when I was trying to learn the iPhone, I got books in Braille. And I read those books and I had the iPhone in my hand and Every time they would talk about, you know, a step, I would actually perform it with the iPhone. And that's how I learned the iPhone. If I had had somebody to, you know, tell me how to use it, somebody did that. People tried to tell me in different things. Um, it didn't go as well, especially if I didn't have the iPhone in my hand. So the first thing is determine what your learning style is and then try to get information in that in that format. If it's audible, you know, don't try to read it. If it's um if if it's hands-on, try to get people to actually show you uh when you have whatever it is in your hand. The second thing to do is of course you have to practice, you know, repeat, repeat, repeat what you've learned until it comes really easy and, and just kind of natural. The third thing is you have to have a desire 
to learn. People who are just forced to learn things usually would just kind of <clears throat> cram for test, and they don't really know it later. Um, you know, they may do well in school, or they may look like it, but they probably wouldn't do well in the same area four or five years later because they really didn't have a desire to learn it. And it doesn't mean that they can't learn it again if they have a desire. But you do have to have a desire, an interest. And your interest and your desire will motivate you to, to learn. Um, and that could be that, that you would have a secondary gain. I didn't learn the iPhone because you know other people had it or because I felt like I had to use it. I learned the iPhone because I wanted to do something with it that I couldn't figure out how to do with anything else. And I can't remember now what that was, but at that time, that was really important to me. So I learned to use the iPhone because I couldn't figure out how to do whatever it was with any other device that I had. Um, so, you know, you have something to motivate yourself. Um, and, and you can either, you know, create rewards for yourself or anything that you can do to motivate yourself. Um, so that's basically the learning topic. Um, you know, in, in school, if, if you teach kids or you work with kids or you, other people, um, try to identify what their primary learning style was. Because once you do that, it's going to be a whole lot easier for you to teach them for you to figure out ways of teaching them. And it doesn't mean that we can't learn with, you know, when we use a different format or a different style, we can. It's just going to be more difficult and take more time and probably be more frustrating because that's not our usual, that's not our preferred style. Um, I know when I was in college, I would you know, everybody was like, oh, just record the lectures, record the lectures. Well, I didn't learn anything that way. Yeah, I, you know, I couldn't motivate myself to listen to those lectures again, and I couldn't. So I learned to take notes. And I learned to take notes very quickly with a slate. Because what I discovered was that when I would read those notes, I would retain it, and I would learn it. But if I had to rely on just listening to a, a tape, I would find my mind wandering or thinking about something else or coming up with a plan or be asleep or <laughs> whatever. Um, so does anybody have any questions or thoughts? Okay, let's go ahead and go over how to raise your hands and all that stuff. I think most of you probably already know it, but my job is to help you out in that area. So if you wish to ask a question on the PC to raise your hand, it's Alt-Y. On your Mac, it's Option-Y. On the lower right-hand corner of the famous iPhone, you'll find a More button. It's under there. And on your landline, it's Star 9. Then once you've been told to unmute, on the computer, it's Alt-A. On the Mac, it's Command-Shift-A. On the lower left-hand corner of your iPhone is a mute, unmute button. And on your phone, <laughs> it is Star 6. And we do have some hands. Good. Karen M. Hi, Jesse. How Hi. are you today? Um, okay. I have low vision. And when I tell my friends that I listen to audiobooks, they kind of just dismiss it and say, oh, you're not really reading. Um, so I'm not quite sure how to address that. If Are they right? or um, well, I, I didn't catch all of that. Basically, when I um, tell you know, sighted, fully sighted people, and I remember one psychologist in particular, you know, I, I said, oh, I read audio books. And, and their uh, oh. response is, you're not really reading. That, listening is not reading. Listening to an audio book is indeed reading. And <laughs> they, are, they are very incorrect when they say that because you are taking in the same information that you would be taking if you were reading that book in print. So, um, yeah, you know, when, you, when you listen to an audio book or read through an audio, whether it's your computer or your, your you know, book, 
you're reading. So they're very incorrect about that. How do I address that response? Well, I don't know that I would argue the point. Um, you know, uh, you you can maybe just explain to them that that is basically the same thing as reading. It is reading. And uh, if they choose to continue to remain ignorant, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know that there's much you can do. But, yes, you are reading. Um, I am starting a new learning project. Um, I have low vision. I am not quite sure how much I will use Braille, but I just received my Braille kit from Hadley. So I am going to dive into that. Cool. Well, you know, even if you can get to the point where you label things in Braille and you can write down a quick number or just a quick note to yourself, um, it will be helpful. Right, you may that's not what... get to the point where you can, you know, read a Braille book as fast as I would. I've been reading Braille for a very long time. But if you can get to the point where you can at least read a Braille label or just, you know, write a few words to for to yourself, that'll be a big benefit for you. Right. And it's stretching my brain as well. So anyway, thank you. You're welcome. Now we have the other Karen. <clears throat> Go ahead, Karen. You're unmuted. I am. I'm a visual learner. I cannot learn unless I see it in Braille. But I'm wondering, like with geometry in school and algebra, I could not learn those no matter what I did. If it wasn't for my friend getting me through, I'd still be there trying to learn it. <laughs> why, why can't we grasp concepts like, you know, I cannot grasp like geometric figures. I mean, I know squares and circles, all that kind of thing, but I cannot do geometry or algebra. Um, I just wonder what, you know, what, what kind of problem that is. I love regular math. You know, I could do computations to beat the band, but I cannot grasp the concepts of geometry. And I never was able to grasp algebra. Now geometry, I grasped really well, but I grew up with a construction worker who, was constantly talking about measuring and had me out there measuring and well, putting together this shape and that shape. And that may have been a big advantage. But yeah, um, it, and I would venture to say that it was just maybe the teacher didn't make it as clear to those of us who were, were blind as maybe she could have. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> that may have been it. Yeah. But like you said about college, I couldn't learn unless I wrote everything down. Mm -hmm. And I'm still that way. No matter what it is, I have to see it written out in Braille and then I know it. Yeah. And probably if we had been able to have access to more uh, things in, in Braille or tactile um, in, in math and geometry, you know, it, it might have gone better. That's true. Uh, I wonder at what age... You mentioned, and I realized this was, you were talking about your mom and the Keurig. I see this some with my dad, like <laughs> the DVD player. He would know how to use it, and then he just didn't know how, and so he just gave up on it and unplugged it. I wonder, at what age does that start to happen? Because <laughs> I just wonder if it's happening with me about learning new things. <laughs> you know, now. It's different for different people. Um, some people retain their ability to... Um, learn new concepts right up until, you know, their late 70s, 80s. Um, and some people start earlier having difficulty with that type of thing. So it really um, differs for different people. Kind of scary when you think about it, because we're all advancing toward those years. You know? Yes, it is scary. You know, quicker uh, than we think. And it, I... <sighs> I find it really scary as, as a person who is blind and, you know, lives alone or has been independent. Um, and unfortunately, technology just keeps advancing. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about that, too. Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you, Karen. <clears throat> and now we have Mary Carla Hayes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, yes. Oh, good. Okay, I have a comment and um, a question. As many of you know, I teach and translate foreign languages. 
and I have children and adults. And what's puzzling to me is I have adults that come to me. Like I had an 84-year-old gentleman learning French. And the only reason he still isn't here is he passed away. And oh. he has the desire. And some of my adults thrive more than the students, the, the, than the young people, because they seem to be more motivated, more responsible. They have the desire. And, and whereas some of the young kids are that, well, the young high school kids and, and the little kids thrive. You get in that high school, college age, they sort of get inhibited and they don't want to practice the new sounds and everything. And so it's sort of interesting. And I've been doing this for years that I'm, you know, so I, when somebody says, you can't teach an old dog a new trick, I said, oh, yes, you can. <laughs> I don't let them use that as an excuse. But I do have a question. I need some advice about something. More and more with my young students, even the homeschoolers and students at school, when I assign them a composition to do or something to do in another language, more and more I can tell that they're using electronic translators, which <laughs> I forbid. You know, they'll do Google Translate or they'll do something and they just make mincemeat out of it. And I just I just say, take it back. I'm not grading this. I am not grading Google. It's just this is how it is. I don't grade you on what you can look up. I, I grade you on what you can learn. And I'm finding this more and more distinct. Disturbing. I give them everything they need, and they still want to take the easy way out, and then they don't learn. Do you, do you have any advice? Um, <laughs> I'm kind of one of these guilty people who take the easy way out, too. Um, but no, I mean, other than what you're doing, just refuses to grade it for them and make them actually, actually learn it. Um, you know, sometimes you just have to make it very clear that that's not what you're going to do. Um, and if they continue to do it, they get bad grades. I failed people over, but you can't learn a foreign language if you don't learn the foreign language. Right. It, it takes memorization. And I don't like some of these ads that say no more boring drills and memorization. Mm. Well, if you want to do it right, <laughs> you got to do it right, as you say, the repetition. And it's like building a house. You have to build it on a strong foundation. And, and that's what I try to, to tell them. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. It is. Yeah. And, and it's becoming easier, you know, to just get Google to translate it and then paste it over. And there you go. <laughs> got it. Some of those Google translations are lousy, let me tell you. They As really a field are. translator, I can tell you that some of them just don't cut it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can I, can I make a comment? Sure. Jesse, is it okay with you? Um, <clears throat> interestingly enough, my, my grandson, who just finally managed to pass so he can graduate, informed all of us the other day that there was absolutely no reason whatsoever to spend hours and hours and hours and hours doing math homework when they had these things and this was his word they have these things called calculators so it's not just the foreign language is happening to and i mean it really makes me sad because these kids if you take away their calculator they're not they can't do a lot of them can't do simple math and you see it like in the grocery store when someone's trying to make change if their little change thing that tells them what to do isn't working they stand there and look at you like you lost your mind absolutely so yeah so and don't let the cash registers go down because you won't be able to check out if they do right exactly you so know. i understand where, where carla's coming from on that and so um the next hand we have is beth there you go beth Hello. go um, ahead jesse so how come excuse me i was taking my medicine how come we, um, I could never learn those physical science formulas? The what? Even though I saw them written out and R plus H equals whatever. And ugh, I, oh, I just found those extremely difficult. Well, you know, not everybody. I mean, some people learn things a lot easier than, than they may learn other things. Um, uh, a lot of it is just how your brain works and, you know, do you really have interest in learning it? Um, you know, we all yeah, have. Yeah, I had interest in, in learning it, but it looked like Chinese and, and to me. Just wanted, it, yeah, and so sometimes it just doesn't come together. Um, and I, 
I do agree with you about the desire to learn because when um, when I was like in uh, well I was going into into eighth grade and um, they did give us beginning algebra then you know algebra and stuff to get us ready for ninth grade you know the year of high school well my mom says if you can't learn algebra then you can't play band and do you know that I never ever after that had an interest in learning she made me quit band. And I never had an interest in learning algebra after that. I just never did. Yeah. Um, and, and the other part about it is, you know, women typically, not always, because there are some women who are very good at math and these types of skills, but women typically are better in English and reading um, verbal skills. Men are typically better in math and science and those types of skills. Now, that's not always true. There are, there are certainly men who are well-versed in English and, and you know, reading, things like that. But typically, um, females are better at, you know, English and not so good at math. But yet you have to use formulas, too, to do recipes like one cup of this and one teaspoon of that and one, you know. Yeah, and so you know, formula. We, do, we do use math for that. So that's why we can. Anyway, thank you. Do we have no more hands right now? Well, does anybody else have any thoughts or comments or what has helped you overcome this learning obstacle? No more hands yet that I see. Okay, hold on. Okay, um. Carla has her hand up again. Okay. Well, um, I was just going to say that I learn well through through music, and I teach through music. I have little songs that I teach people ways to remember verbs and and different things in different languages and and um, vocabulary and, and various skills. And if I want to remember something. Um, I, I set it to music for myself, and I'll sing it. <laughs> I know that sounds silly, but oh, um, somebody, um, one of my friends was trying to tell me how to say Merry Christmas in Greek, which is, um, and you know, Kala Christogene, and I'm like, Kala Christogene, and I'm going on and on, and, you know, I just, and, and things like that really help, and I think it sort of capitalizes on discovering what it is that, that helps you to learn, and finding that. And then if you're teaching, um, I find that I have to find what makes my students learn. And I have to teach to many different learning styles. And some teachers don't do that. They'll just use the old Ozabel um, lecture method. And that doesn't work for everything. You have to sort of have a multifaceted approach, I'd say, as you, as you said, to teaching and learning. And by the way, this is an excellent um, seminar that you're doing tonight. I'm really enjoying this. You must be an awesome teacher. <laughs> no, don't ask my students around grade time. They'll tell you something very different. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's really an important thing for teachers to be able to teach in a variety of learning styles and methods and, you know, make it as, as fun and exciting as, as possible to kind of help tap into what's going on with the kids. Because I know part of my problem with math was I became frustrated. And when I became frustrated, then I became disinterested. And then it became too much work. And then it was like, mm -hmm. well, well, I'll just use a calculator. Especially after I learned that we do have calculators, <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, if, if you can keep kids from getting frustrated, um, you know, that's, that can really go a long way to... Because then they can say, well, you know, I really learned that, so I can learn this or whatever. Scott Edwards has his hand up, and he hasn't shared yet. All right. I, um, you know, I, can, I could probably address the issue of, of, of difficulty in learning certain things. Um, I can't help wondering, like a while ago, Beth said it was, she found it so hard to, to, to like, comprehend and memorize it was a physical science formula i think she mentioned or various scientific formulas and i can't help wondering if it's because it's hard because it, there was no easy way to demonstrate it how they work in in a like a daily life 
situation. You know, you actually see it in action in a mm-hmm. in like a daily life situation. Or uh, of course, if there was a lab of some sort, you could probably. But if it's if it's entirely visual, um, that that could be a barrier to actually understanding exactly how that formula works in a scientific um, setting or if it's if you can't really feel it in action or hear it in action or what have you or taste it or smell it (laughs) that is certainly a very valid point and you know i think that's why we may have difficulty with with concept like you know you, you can show somebody what two feet of space is that's pretty easy. Right. You know, yeah. just measure it out. You can feel two feet. But when it comes to a hundred feet or two hundred feet or five hundred feet, yeah. <laughs> you might be able to walk with that person that far and they might get a general get an idea, idea of distance and time and so forth. You know, but but so many things are are out of our direct Perhaps. line of experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, in other words, like, if, when I, I, I tried my hand, I tried my hand at computer programming somewhere a long time ago, at least with the basic language. And uh, I was able to, because I had a computer at the time that allowed me to type in basic, in basic, it, I was able to actually create, write a program and run it and see it and actually see it in action, or in my case, hear it in action through this. The spoken feedback that I got, you know, in my results and the output spoken to me, I was able to tell, oh, okay, so it worked. Yeah, and, so, and that's you because you, you had something to compare it with or something to yeah. kind of visualize in your, right. your head how and that I had a would goal, work. I had a goal in mind, and I knew what, what I expected the results to be, and so when, it, when they turned out right, of course, it did. If they had turned out wrong, then I would have uh, had to go back and back see what where I made a mistake. You know? mm-hmm. Anyway, that's pretty much all I had. Well, thank you for that. And um, yeah, I think that you're you're right. You know, there's there's so many things that we just haven't had real experience with. I'd like for someone to show me an actual use for the quadratic equation. I'm um, sorry, the what? <laughs> <laughs> The quadratic um, equation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd like for yeah someone to actually show me the uh, use for that someday because you know you had to learn it and it's like I I I still kind of remember it but I don't know that I've ever used it in my life. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So we have Maria has her hand up. Something's wrong with my name thing. It keeps switching back to that name. This is Shanti. Uh, <laughs> oh. I'm definitely no. It's not you. It's my something on my end. Is it keeps changing my name. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, uh, I'm definitely a, a learn by doing like person. And I found that all too late, I found that I, I didn't pass my linguistics because instead of practicing the diagrams myself, I was letting my uh, tutor draw them and then I would look at them. And I should have just said, let me, can I draw them? Let me practice. And then you tell me if I'm doing it right. And I probably would have got a better grade. But an, another thing I wanted to just uh, share was that I've had many teachers that always said, never, ever stop learning. And I agree with that so much because when I was working, of course, I always trained on the job and I was always training on the new tech as technology, as technology progressed, I would learn the new stuff. So I was always learning. And then at, on my downtime, I would just, st- I started after a certain age, which I won't say, um, I would start playing Sudoku and other brain puzzles because it, for me, it made my, made me feel like my brain was, it was happy. It was, you know, healthy. That's awesome. And puzzles are a really good way to, uh, you know, keep the brain active. Card games are another way that you can keep, you know, just to play solitaire by yourself or any card game um, because you're dealing with numbers and, and they're constantly changing. Um, but word puzzles, any kind of puzzle is a really good way to keep your brain active and, and especially as we get older, um, 
you know, reading is, is a good way. And, and especially if you're reading things that you're actually learning from, not just, you know, a romance book or a mystery book or something like that. But if you're reading things that you're truly learning from, that can be very helpful. Okay, we have Pam Coffee. Oh, what a wonderful presentation this is. Uh, I know one of my big frustrations is that as I get <clears throat> older, <laughs> uh, it just seems like it takes me longer to learn something or I just feel like I don't get it sometimes. And, you know, I use some of all three types of learning. I'm, I'm pretty mixed as far as that goes. And it just, it seems like the older I get, um, the harder it is to learn stuff. Um, yeah, and, and that's one of the really frustrating things about getting older, especially if you're struggling. But the important thing is to keep working on it. Because if you give up, mm -hmm. you know, yes. then you're really going to have problems. Um, so just keep working at it, regardless and, of what. Yeah. And, you know, make it a point that you're going to learn something new every day, a word, mm -hmm. um, uh -huh. This little echo over here has a has a word game, and 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 you can learn a new word every day. Um, mm -hmm. She's a great help, actually, in, in learning new things because she's got all kind of puzzle games and word games and uh, memory games and numbers games and <laughs> yeah. So oh, you know, yeah. if you if you keep working with her every day, um, mm -hmm. it'll keep your brain active. And you will find that the more active and engaged you are, the longer you'll still be able to learn new things. And it'll not be as difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I find it interesting that while I seem to be pretty much equal as far as learning goes with all three types, I know some people who, oh, they are either almost strictly hands-on or mm -hmm. almost strictly auditory. And if you try to do one of the others, they're not going to get it. No, which is why you have to figure out what works best for the person that you're trying to teach. And they have to figure out what works best for them. You know, if they right. need to do like I do and write down all this instructions, give them time to write down the instructions. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. And, well, one one instance in particular, I was trying to help a friend do something on her iPhone and I emailed or texted or whatever the instructions, the step-by-step -step on how to do it. And that person called me and said, this might as well be a foreign language. And, you know, the way, the way she learns it is, is hands-on. Yeah, And we couldn't do it hands-on because we weren't in the same room together. Um, well, you actually can. Um, even though you're not together, you can actually, uh, as long as she's not using the iPhone to make the call, if right. she can use a different phone to make the call, then you can yeah. put the get, get her to put the iPhone in her hand. And yeah. you can tell her. Okay, you know, now swipe over to your right until you hear. Yeah. Yeah. And and we can do that. We we've been yeah. able to do that, but it's just I find it interesting that while some people seem to do all three, um, some don't. Some just absolutely cannot. Yeah, you know, most um, people do have a primary way of, of learning and then mm -hmm. they use the other two as well. Uh -huh. But they do have a primary. Now, some people, it's more hard, more difficult to, to differentiate between. But most people can pretty quickly say, oh, give me the instructions. Or, uh -huh. you know, I have to have it written down. Or <laughs> Yeah, got you. You've got yeah. to show me. You know, they can, uh -huh. they can pretty quickly tell you that. But you all really brought back memories talking about math because, oh, my goodness, I had a terrible time in geometry and I worked and I worked and I worked and I worked and I still didn't get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, you're bringing back a lot of memories. <laughs> so 
but thanks. This is really great. You're welcome. Okay, you have about nine minutes left, and we have um, three people again. They're all repeaters. Beth, you can unmute. No, I, well, I believe you might have answered. I was going to ask you, so at what age does your cognitive decline, your you know, cogn cognition or whatever you call it, start to decline? And how can you keep it active? But uh, that part you answered by saying the echo. Well, um, you know, people after age 50 start having some decline in their cognition. Mm -hmm. um, some people have pretty fast decline. Some people not very fast at all. Um, and some people have, I mean, my mom was 84, 85 before she started having any real decline. And when she started, it went fast. I mean, zoop, amazing. Um, a friend of mine, he is 78. And he's still teaching. He's still working. He's still studying. So <laughs> just as sharp <laughs> as anything. And also, um, is that true that metals, the toxicity of the blood, makes what, your decline go further? You know what I mean? Quicker? Uh, it, yeah, I, I, it, it can be. You know, again, so it's important to try to keep your mind active and try to keep your body active because when you exercise and, and you get sleep and you get rest and all that, that will improve your circulation and your circulation improves your brain function. So all those cool. things work okay. together. Okay. Thanks. Karen M. Uh, yes. The conversation triggered a memory for me. Um, I I always got good grades in high school without, I have low vision and I probably had a good memory and I listened and I, and I just kind of absorbed it that way. But when it came to trigonometry, it looked <laughs> like I was going to fail. And thankfully, you know, I didn't say anything, but luckily my mother um, went up and spoke to the teacher and said, hey, you know, she she shouldn't be failing anything. And, um, and basically the teacher then, you know, I, I don't really remember what she did, but as it turns out, I got a 92 on the New York State Trigonometry Regents. And, um, you know, sometimes it's just trying to learn in a different way. Um so that brought back a memory. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got further than I did because I never got to trig. <laughs> oh, I couldn't handle trig. I can't. I still can't see the sense in it. Isn't that awful? <laughs> yeah. You didn't miss anything, Jesse. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Now we have the other Karen. Karen, you. I was just going to mention Lady A, but, uh, you know, Jesse had already mentioned her as um, ways to learn. And a lot of the puzzles on there are are progressive. I mean, as you achieve one level, they get harder, mm -hmm. especially the, the brain ninja I've been doing with math. And uh, you're in different belts as you answer the questions. And after a while, they get pretty hard. And I think I've come as far as I can go. <laughs> yeah. But that is a very good learning for words and numbers and all kind of things, it even is. foreign language. Cause <laughs> you know, she's got all kinds of stuff up there and it's just really incredible. So, yeah, take advantage of it. Yeah, it's the most inexpensive thing I think you can buy to do all she does. <laughs> I think so. You know, I had told someone if this device had come out just for blind people, it would cost $5,000. Exactly. But, you know, on the general market, you can get them for 50 you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people are using it for all kinds of things, you know. So, if, if you're it's, not sure how to use it, uh, take advantage of some of the community calls that um, talk about how to use and um, what to do, because those people will probably have the answers to whatever question. I think Mystic Access even has a tutorial um, that someone's doing with her or on her. Wow. This is Jason, if I can add a comment. Yeah. Carla mentioned uh, using music uh, to help in learning. And I have a very fond memory. Sometimes being the learner, you don't always know the best way. And uh, in middle school, a teacher, I was not a very good geography student. 
And a teacher, uh, knowing that I was musical, uh, suggested that we try using music to help learn. And she, I, you know, I, I didn't know what she meant right away. And she came up with some rhythmic things. She came up with some melodies. And it really helped. And I, I thought, wow, what a what a turnaround for me, all because of this wonderful woman who suggested using music, something I told, I mean, music's been a huge part of my life, but I just never thought of incorporating into my learning. So I just wanted to share that story. And uh, thank you. That is so cool. That really is cool. Yeah. Uh, Who who would ever thought? I guess you're engaging a different part of your brain, maybe, and things stick a little better. Engages your stronger part of your brain because you're you're you were already musically inclined and musically interested and had an ear for it, Mm -hmm. and so you know it it engaged that part of your brain, which kind of strengthened the other parts of your brain to say, "Hey, right, this is the way to do it." Well, I'm showing two minutes, and uh, and Jason, thank you for that because I was going to say the same thing when my when my grandkids were babies, my daughter had these these little music tapes that sang counting by twos and you know just in really sang all those math concepts and one of the kids just got it that way and the other one learned the song but it still didn't make any sense to her Mm. until she actually got into school and started working with it so. Um, it's interesting. Music is certainly a thing. My my granddaughter, my 16-year-old granddaughter the other day was singing the books of the Bible. So, uh-huh. you know, it's amazing how music really can be. And now one of my grandchildren, um, when she can't get something, they will ask her to draw a picture of what it is she thinks she thinks she's understanding because mm-hmm. she's very artistic. Mm-hmm. So I think this is just a, this has been a great call. And I'm really glad I got a chance to host it. Well, and, and yeah, and, and that's what, you know, going back to the difficulties with, with higher concepts of math and, and like geometry and things like that may be very difficult. And I know that I had a, a real advantage with, with geometry because of my father being mm-hmm. a construction worker, and I was always out there with him. But if it hadn't have been for him and that experience, I would have not done well at geometry either because I didn't do well with algebra or any of those higher forms of math. And, you know, I was able to do fractions because I could sit and picture mm-hmm. the plastic teaspoons, I mean, measuring spoons and measuring cups. So that was a point of reference. Right. So yeah, if you can engage the person to some point of reference, you're going to be better able to learn. For so years, I couldn't say the ABCs, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, without going A, B, C, D, right. E, F, G. <laughs> oh, and, and I teach my children their ACBs. <laughs> I said ACB so many times one day saying it that way. We are at the top of the hour and to honor ACB radio. Speaking of ACB, um, we probably need to close. Yes. 